He thought of us. No one expected that. There was so much going on that Palm Sunday when Jesus came into town. He was fulfilling a prophecy and everybody recognized that. Behold, the Messiah would come to town on a donkey. I believe it was Isaiah that had prophesied it. All the people were familiar with it. When Jesus came into town to that throng of dancing palm branches and laying them before him, they were creating a runway for their new Messiah and King to come to power. And almost everyone was caught up in it. This ascension of the clout of Jesus. He was coming up in the world and Many were seeing their place. Even the disciples argued about which one of them would be considered the greatest along with him. But that's not the way things work in God's kingdom. So often they're counterintuitive. In the kingdom of God, we don't ascend to greatness. We descend to greatness. And the greatest among you will be the servant of all. What opens our eyes? To think of others. What opened Jesus' eyes, even as he was on the cross, not to be concerned about his own life ebbing away so much as the fact that his mother was cared for by John, and John had a new mother in Mary. Who, who, Who loves like that? Who even in that moment of great personal need still considers others' needs a greater joy to satisfy? Only God... And only the God that was in Jesus and can live by us in the Spirit can make those kind of choices, can even see those kind of options before us. Everybody saw saw door number one as Jesus went into town that day. The day, uh, the door of political power and personal power and personal ascension and and uh, acquiring. But Jesus saw another door, and love always sees door number two. The door that everyone else looks right past most of the time. The redemptive power of self-giving and serving love. As God shapes our heart on that inward journey inside, I pray that we come back into the world with eyes open to see what he can see. Not just the obvious doors of personal advancement, doors of blessing. And as I say that, isn't it interesting that the way I think of that immediately is doors of blessing are doors of blessing to me. (laughs) But Jesus had eyes to see not just doors of blessing to him, but doors of blessing to others. How he could serve in that role as well. Blessed as I come in and have my... uh, loved on experience with God, I'm released into the world. And if my needs have been met there, I can turn my eyes outward now to meet the needs of others. And doors of blessing, the doors that I might look for, are not necessarily doors of my blessing. If those are the only doors that you consider, you will miss the better part of what you're called to be in this life. But the doors of blessing of others... In God's name. That was God's picture for us all along. That we might know that greater life. That abundant life. 
that life that's fully alive, that we might not just be blessed, but that we would be blessed to be a blessing. The whole picture. It's a full life. Even though it's sacrificial, it is life in the full. Peter discovered that. And as we look to the video screens now, it's Peter's story that tells of finding door number two. When I was around seven, my father started uh, beating us kids with a stick. Uh, My mother was verbally abusive, and growing up was more a time to be survived and endured than lived, which allowed uh, alcohol use and drug use in high school to start growing. When it came to Father God, the only way I could understand Him was through the lens of my earthly father. My whole life was spent medicating from those wounds, and that led up to a pornography addiction that ended in a massage parlor visit and finally I ended up confessing everything to my wife because my life was not going to change it was then that God started meeting me through reading his word God's forgiveness was infinite to the last day of my life I still had an opportunity I ended up getting a degree in mechanical engineering and finally ended up in the steel construction business and at this stage in my life What I wanted was a different story. I didn't want the story to be about me as this great sinner and then being forgiven. I wanted payback on the enemy for what I had endured. And it started coming to me that helping others who have experienced some of the same pain, addiction. So people need help transitioning out of jail and out of their addictions. They need mentors. They need good places to work. And they just need someone to come beside them along that walk. Uh, Before coming to Summit, I never had a job. I was fresh out of prison. And I was pretty much confused about which way to go as far as a career or life in general. Not quite ready to, you know, I guess conform to the standards of society's normal way of thinking. I caught a couple violations. You know, I wasn't working out, I wasn't reliable, but for some reason, Pete saw something in me. It feels great because, you know, you know, when you stumble, there's somebody to help you, you know, stand back up. It makes me want to wake up in the morning and come to work because I know, you know, that there's something there for me. Went in and out of jail, in and out of detox programs. I struggled with uh, addiction and, and just behavioral problems, you know. I didn't know my direction in life, you know, and my identity. Pete has not only been an awesome Uh, employer but a a mentor as well he's given me a chance to gain responsibility as as an employee he empowers his employees you know and he brings the full potential out of all of them yeah and dealing with uh, rejection in my life not having a father figure uh, Peter kind of helped me with that and he went ahead and gave me a second chance and an opportunity to change my life around which no one else would be doing for me Um, Well, when somebody gives me that opportunity after so many years of struggling and being on the streets and what have you, um, trust issues are a big factor, and it's meant a lot to me as a human being, as a father, as a brother. We invite men into a larger story than the one that they've grown up with. The story that they've grown up with is one with very limited opportunities in life. 
I think all the ministry that we do is about, about inviting men to join us, to lead small groups, to help others who have been struggling with the same thing that they've overcome. My job is to extend God's rule and reign down here in this place. And that is what I live for. I live for changing the world where I have, can have an effect. Using the things that almost killed me, almost destroyed my marriage and my family. And help other men find the same life that I've got to live. That life to the full Jesus talked about. Hmm. What a story. He wanted more than to just be redeemed, just be a receiver of grace. He wanted payback on the thief. He wanted to make a dent in the darkness. His life was much more than just a one-dimensional life of self-satisfaction. His life has become a life that's blessed so many. He not only has a successful business, he has an overflowing life. And that's what God wants for all of us. And I think deep down inside each and every one of us is that same long as, as well. He's placed that within our hearts, though sometimes it gets misdirected. You know, you, you can see it. Uh, that that door is overlooked while the door of self-promotion is almost always obvious to us all. You only have to be a Facebooker to understand. So often, isn't it the case that Facebook pages can become uh, efforts of propping ourselves up, of showing our, our full lives. And someone at MIT has even said that that's created instead of a, a feeling of satisfaction that often that kind of Facebooking competition, my life better than yours kind of thing, has created a widespread blanket of depression on our society rather than any feeling of, of uh, self-wholeness, you know, it's, it's created just the opposite. opposite. In fact, a, a professor at MIT has said that that kind of digital malaise, he's given a reason for it. He calls it the FOMO, the fear of missing out. The fear that maybe somebody else is having better vacations than I am. Somebody else has found a better way to lose weight than I have. Somebody else is wearing fashions that are more fashionable than I have. And all that comparing just tends to implode on us. Maybe there's another door. <laughs> maybe there's another option. See, Maybe life is really not fully satisfied when we seek to satisfy ourselves. Maybe God meant life. To be an experience of, of, of satisfying so many others with the way we live and the way we give our lives away. And in that comes rich, life-giving, abundant uh, kind of living. The truth of the matter is that, that love finds doors that ambition completely misses. You could see it in that story right there, couldn't you? Ambition to, to meet his own needs, ambition to, to be successful in business would have made clear some opportunities. But these opportunities to find these other guys who needed a second chance as much as he did, for whom he understands that need to find something, to find traction, with whom he could share the well that he had find, found for, for full living, see, 
love found those doors where ambition would have looked right past that guy that couldn't have given any kind of immediate success to my business. Love finds doors that ambition always miss. And, and sometimes we, even as Christians, can be motivated by sanctified ambition, maybe. But not love. And then I wonder if it's truly sanctified. You know, there, there are sometimes as Christians where we want excellence and we want to do things well and we want to get the job done. We will pack those 4,000 bags of potatoes and get them to people's homes and get them delivered and wipe our hands and say, done. I've done my good deed. Ambition only sees the work. But love sees the people that all that work connects us to. And getting the work done doesn't seem to open the door from the other side, does it? It's not the potatoes. It's the person that hands them off with real care and real concern. That has not not a condescending bone about them. They're just happy to be able to share, right? That opens a door from the other side saying, wow, this person isn't pegging me in a hole and this person's not casting me as the needy. This person just cares. Jesus could have passed right by blind Bartimaeus on his way to Jerusalem. After all, he had a pretty big to-do thing on his to-do list that day, just going to Jerusalem and saving the souls of all humanity. Right? He had a job to do. (laughs) But he heard the cry on the way of someone saying, Son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David. And he turned... And the others were caught up in the ascension. The others were caught up in the self-promotion. The others were caught up in the work of it. Shh, Bart, hush. Don't you know he's an important man? He's got things to be doing. Hush. And Jesus turns and as if to emphasize the lesson, especially for those who were just about the work. You guys, go bring him to me. And the disciples maybe realizing their mistake. Go and bring Bart to him, and Jesus heals his eyes. He does what, the, what love does when it has the power to make a difference. It gets involved and does what it can. Love sees doors that ambition misses, and kindness opens the hearts to new doors I hope you heard in um, Peter's story how his kindness was now then a ripple effect through not just his life, but tens of people in his office now that have found that door and are sharing it with others. Kindness opens hearts to new doors. So I say let the blessing build. Let's choose that fuller life of not just being blessed, but being a blessing. I heard the story of one elderly gentleman who decided to overcome some of his own uh, comfort zone difficulties. He had heard uh, of a school nearby that uh, 
was a part of really the ghetto part of town. And the kids were suffering and falling behind and falling out there. And he had had a tough childhood himself and knew how difficult it was to study when things weren't right in the home. And he decided he knew what it took to, to shore these kids up. So despite his apprehensions, he got involved as a tutor. But he didn't just teach them mathematics and English. He cared. He cared. And after several months of working in that place and building these relationships with these kids, finally there came a day where he had a conflict. I don't know if he was sick or he had something to do at work, but he couldn't show up for his usual tutoring appointments. To which one of those kids that he usually tutored came out in the hall and started announcing his question to all who would give him an answer. Yo, where's my homie? How does an 82-year-old suburbanite become a ghetto, ghetto teenager's homie? Love opens doors. Ambition never sees. And as we serve, as we are a blessing, God calls us not only to do the things Jesus would do, but to do it in the way Jesus would do it. I say, let the blessing build. Let's not miss those doors that are so easy to miss when we don't have his heart within us to see them. There are many unexpected doors that are part of this Christian life that only love can see. Doors of blessing others become those that we choose above all and sometimes even unwanted doors become doors that we no longer run away from. You know, sometimes, sometimes God will call you to love somebody that he loves that you don't even like. Most people never see that as a door. We see it as an annoyance. But sometimes I think God focuses us, opens our eyes, helps us see someone that we don't even like as someone that he loves so that that outward journey of serving them might make us desperate for that inward journey of developing a heart more like our Lord's. Did you hear that? Sometimes God calls us outside our comfort zone. He calls us to love people that we hardly like. Sometimes God calls us outwardly to make room for his journey inwardly. Now, if you want a poster child for this kind of opera, consider Jonah. Remember? The Ninevites. He didn't like them. They were scary. Uh... How did it say in Veggie Tales? They slapped each other with fish? I, I don't know. It was, it was something crazy like that. I, I, I don't know if that's true. It's amazing how those stories start to convolute my biblical knowledge after a while. But uh, the Ninevites were thugs, the Ninevites were thieves, the Ninevites were people that he had been taught to hate from his earliest days, and he didn't want anything to do with God giving grace to that type. But you've never met a type 
that your heavenly father doesn't love and for whom he didn't die. And so if that inward journey of developing a heart more like God has gotten stale for you, (laughs) I invite you to go love somebody you don't like. Because that won't last long unless you find a deeper resource for loving like that. Some of us discover that door. A door that we wouldn't want. A door that, that, that we wouldn't necessarily choose. A door that's outside our comfort zone. And yet, we feel compelled by God's love to be obedient to that call. And if we are, as we do, God has a way of changing our hearts. Jonah was headed 180 degrees in the opposite direction. Like the guy on the screen right there. He was making tracks <laughs> away from God's calling. Not towards it. God called him to Nineveh. He headed to Tarshish. 180 degrees in the other direction. Right? Listen, if sometimes within our hearts, even the things that God calls us to do makes, uh, rep- makes our flesh repulsed. But that doesn't mean God doesn't call us. Right? And, and what's involved in getting turned around? I don't know all that the symbolism means. I'm not suggesting that any of us should become fish food for three days. I, 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 I really, uh, that's a story that I think those three days in the fish's belly, what does that remind you of? Three days in a tomb. Three days in a tomb. Maybe sometimes to become all that God wants us to be and all that God dreams for us to be. Sometimes in order to experience the more to life. We have to do some dying to ourselves. I don't know of any other way around it. That doesn't sound good to me or to you, probably. But it's the narrow path to the more life. Could could it be that that stuff that's functioning within us as we start experiencing the FOMO, you know, that fear of missing out, could, could that be something that really God has planted there? For we have not imagined We cannot think or ask. For God can do exceedingly abundantly more than all we ask or think or imagine. (laughs) I do a lot of what if thinking for myself. Right? But I wonder if God put that what if mechanism in my head, that imagination, not just for what ifs for me. But to be engaged in that kind of what if thinking for all the others around us that I could bless. A young couple was in a restaurant and in talking to their waitress they'd been there several times they got to know more and more of her, their, her, her story and she was absolutely flabbergasted when this young couple who she didn't think had the resources to do it tipped her on their credit card 400 
I don't know if the credit card's the way to go there, but how's that for some what if thinking? What if God has given me ways, given me resources, given me connections to really be a blessing to others? What if instead of pushing away or ignoring or being blissfully ignorant of those things, what if I turned and started dreaming with God about how he might bless others and even use me in the process of doing it? That's the Jonah cure, the dying to self that I might be alive to Christ. Love finds doors. Ambition misses. This morning I want to talk about not only doors of blessing and unwanted doors, but closed doors. Closed doors. You know, I I don't know that I understand all of God's closed doors. Maybe you've experienced a closed door. A relationship that you wanted to mend that the other would have no part in reciprocating. A job that you thought was just right for you, but you just never seemed to get the promotion. Do you know what it is to have the heartbreak of knowing you think you know what God's will is for you, but then having to reassess that because there comes a closed door. And I don't think God necessarily closes all doors. I think sometimes circumstances close doors. Sometimes other people's willfulness closes doors. But I'm certain of this, that in all closed doors, God is still at work. Ever had a closed door? Maybe you can identify with this next story. I believe his name's Charlie. I was living in San Diego, and when I got a call from Menlo Park Presbyterian Church to come be their youth pastor, and I remember telling the senior pastor at the time that um, I'd never worked in the church, I wasn't seminary trained, but they asked me to come be their youth pastor, and I served in that ministry, working with middle school, high school, and college students and young adults, and uh, seeing the ministry thrive, and that was a, a very sweet season in my life. My journey hit a real crossroads in 2007. My wife said that she no longer loved me and that she was in love with someone else. My uh, wife and I decided to get divorced. There were circumstances that became so complex that the church elders came to me to say, Charlie, we love you, but we can't imagine a scenario where you're still on staff. And they were right. After leaving the church, the church had a community of people who reached out to me and stayed so close to me. That was a real difficult time. I was seeing my ministry come to an end. Everything in my life was being deconstructed. I just felt like such a failure. My marriage had failed. I felt I had failed as a pastor, as a father. And I think those nights when I would be alone without my family were some of the most painful and saddest times of my life. My prayer was, God, where would you take me? Because everything that I had learned or grown in or depended on was now taken away. It was me in the wilderness with God and wondering, where do I go? What door would he have for me? The journey was about discovering what it meant to be good with God alone and to not depend on any of the other 
parts of my life that I had grown so attached to. Things like title and position and influence and financial security, relational connectedness. My healing began when I first started to face the pain and to not run from it, but to move toward that pain, to discover the transformation that God wanted to do in me, where I had to face some really hard truths in my life. Disordered attachment to my job, the rush of ministry, the need to make a difference, wanting to get credit for that, avoiding intimacy, my own contribution to the disintegration of my marriage. You know, all my life I'd been someone who was there to help other people, was there to come alongside of other people in their own struggle, and now I was the vulnerable one. God was teaching me how to hold things with open hands, how to not force things or control things. And I found myself in such a a more peaceful place, healthier place, a deeper place, a more connected place with God. I don't know why. I don't know why all closed doors come to us. But God does. The God who loves us, that would work redemptively in every circumstance, knows. Some he allows, maybe some he sends. But have you ever thought about the fact that Jesus himself knows exactly how that feels? To have a door closed. This week as he makes his journey towards the cross... The human side of him is nevertheless suffering as any one of us would. In Gethsemane, he prays to the Father, probably the most sincere and desperate prayer heaven has ever heard. Father, let this cup pass from me. Surely there's a door number two. Another door. Another option. Never has one more deserving asked. Never has there been a heart so holy. Never has there been a justice more deserved. But heaven's door seemed to be closed. God sometimes knows things that we don't. And sometimes God can have redemptive purposes, whatever the closed door may be. The truth of the matter is that when God closed that door to his son, Jesus, he was opening a door to each and every one of us. He was thinking of us. And somehow when Jesus got alone with the Father that night in Gethsemane, his heart swung so close to his God that from his own lips came, Nevertheless, Father, not my will, but thine be done. And to the end... He was faithful that night. But did you notice that when Jesus was in Gethsemane and he asked that question, please let this cup pass 
from me. What happened? God sent to him at that moment a ministering angel to give him strength. I don't know of anything more draining than a closed door. It's so hard when you know that that's the job for you. And that door's closed and it's not opening. It is, what energy do you have to then go and apply someplace else? <laughs> right? When, when, you, when you're hoping, no matter the fact that the, uh, the divorce is final and, and uh, they said that they're done and they're moving on with their lives and yet something in your heart still feels something that's there and, and, and you're, you're, you're butting your head on that closed door. God, change their minds, change their hearts. You got any energy to go spend some time with friends? What is it about closed doors that we get so tunnel-visioned that we can't see God working in that closed door in other ways? How is it that Jesus could look past this, this obvious great challenge of going through the cross even, and yet then in that moment be strengthened and motivated for what God's agenda was in his heart, what God's agenda was through his life, and to somehow trust that even though that closed door exists, God is still at work to love his kid, to glorify himself, and to bless the world through it all. You know, that's the difficulty with closed doors. God knows, but we don't. <laughs> we don't. We can't make sense of it. That It just doesn't add up. Why this tornado? Why that bomb in Boston? Why? Why? God, where are you in all this? This is not what we prayed for. We ask that this cup pass from us. And so the disciples ask him that night in John chapter 16. And Jesus notices uh, their asking. In John chapter 16, as he's told them that he will go to a cross, he's tried to explain it thoroughly in these, this last discourse from his life. We've been studying it, uh, walking through it, and all those I am statements, his assurances during this week that even though a closed door, it would seem that heaven would close the door to the messianic agenda. Whoom! Death on a cross. Nevertheless, he was telling us his disciples, hang on. Keep believing. Stay the course. Have eyes to see the next open door and trust that God is creating it even now. Jesus knew that they wished to question him and he said to them, are you deliberating together about this, that I said a little while and you will not behold me, and again a little while and you will see me? Truly I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned to joy. Whenever a woman is in travail, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she gives birth, to the child, she remembers the anguish no more. What a good word, the anguish no more. 
for joy that a child has been brought into the world. Therefore, you too now have sorrow, but I will see you again. And your heart will rejoice. And no one takes your joy away from you. What's he saying? He's saying Easter's coming. Easter's coming. Whatever that closed door is, Lord, why haven't I been healed? Lord, why haven't you made a way? Lord, why haven't you changed their hearts? Lord, why haven't you turned my child to come home to you yet? Here's a promise. How long before it will all be made right? I both love and hate this answer. (laughs) A little while. A little while. Maybe not near soon enough on our calendar and our estimation, but in all of eternity, a little while. You may suffer and you may have difficulty for a season. So have all the other brothers in the world. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. The Lord himself will strengthen and establish you. A little while. Jesus promises us joy and and Easter for all of the Good Fridays when things closed on us. God works with closed doors. Do you remember Paul going into, um, on his missionary journey, here he is doing God's will. He's spreading his gospel. God has sent him out beyond Jerusalem into the Gentile world. He's starting over and over again in synagogue after synagogue after synagogue. That's where he usually connects with people first. And then only after he's rejected does he turn his heart towards the Gentiles in the area. There has not been any great harvest of Gentile souls at this time. And he's, he's going north to Asia. And it says in Acts chapter 16 that God closed the door to Asia. Why? Don't the people in Asia matter? Why? Haven't you called me? Why? Why, why, why? A little while. He turns him to, he turns to Bithynia. And again, the, the Lord closes the door. Why? Aren't his motives right? Hasn't he suffered enough? What is this great mystery that keeps closing these doors? And then he goes to Troas. And he's so drained by that closed door. Only in his sleep can the Lord speak. And he has a dream. A man from Macedonia saying, come over here. Come over here. And as soon as he wakes, a knock at the door. An open door. To who becomes Cornelius, the first Gentile convert that becomes a Gentile virus for the faith. You and I follow Christ today because God closed the door to Asia. I I don't understand why. Sometimes in looking back over history, maybe we get a glimpse of part of the why. Why? But that's only part. 
That's only what we can see with our limited human vision and our limited historic understandings. God knows the truth of the matter to the depths of the heart that of every person that's ever walked on the planet. I can't even imagine that kind of complexity and figuring of what's best. But I thank God I can leave that to God. He knows. God works even with our closed doors. And if we can trust him enough to still be at work, we won't waste time and energy on a door that he's closed. We can turn our attention to whatever is the next door that he's opening. Todd did that. And this is his story. As I started working, um, having a young family, quite honestly, I wandered away from the church. I spent probably 13 years not really going to church. Um, And we moved out here in the early 2000s for me to take a position uh, running an office in Silicon Valley. And everything was going in my direction. But what was interesting was um, 9-11 happened, and it caused our family to go seek out a church. Uh, Within a couple years, was in a small group had some amazing guys around me who were just living life very authentically and doing their best uh, to follow Jesus. Somewhere along the way there with that group, I started to realize that uh, my priorities were pretty messed up. I had prayed prayers about my family and about surrendering my family to God, but I had never prayed a prayer about surrendering my career to God. And uh, through that group, I started doing that. Three weeks later, Um, I was talking with my managing partner. With the bubble bursting in Silicon Valley and 9-11 happened, I just asked him, I said, uh, you know, am I the right guy for the job? And his reaction was, you're a great lefty, but I could use a right-handed pitcher right now. And I'll never forget coming home that night and just feeling that sinking pit in my stomach that I was being demoted. And I was crushed. I was actually devastated for, for months, in fact, maybe even years afterwards. It took me a lot of work to try to figure out what it meant to step down the ladder from a career perspective. And my ego was bruised, but there was part of me that was really excited to see what was it, what lay in store, what lay ahead. I think I'd be a very different person today if if I continued that path. So am I grateful that God closed that door? I can't even conceive of what my life would be like if if he hadn't closed that door. It was uh, really within the year that I heard Steve Haas from World Vision talk about uh, the pandemic of AIDS in Africa. And uh, I just couldn't get the images or the thoughts out of my mind about how many Africans were dying of HIV and AIDS. Just a short time after that, that my pastor did a sermon on the parable of the talents and, uh, and finished by asking if anybody wanted to go on an adventure with Jesus. And uh, I remember getting up and walking right up front without even thinking twice about it. And he handed us all a $100 bill. It was the first time I've ever gone to church and had someone hand me money. There were a couple of rules attached. One is it wasn't mine. I had to do something for God, and I had to be willing to come back and tell a story. The story started with our family trying to collect 19 million pennies uh, to show the world what it looked like to say that there were 19 million Africans who died of HIV and AIDS. What it did for our family over the course of the next several years is we worked Uh, collecting pennies that cracked the foundation in our garage, setting up a website and doing all of that, setting up a nonprofit. We realized we didn't know an African who had HIV or AIDS, and so we went to Ethiopia on a mission trip. Now we've been back six times as a family. I've been eight times. It's completely changed our world. 
uh, we have friends and family in Ethiopia that we care just as deeply about as we care about it, each other. We put 6.1 million on display at the uh, Democratic and Republican National Conventions in 2008, which was a kick. Um, World Vision and the One Campaign asked us to join them in an effort to get delegates involved. But I think more than anything else, um, it completely redirected the rudder in our family's life. A closed door. Sometimes it's leading to a much larger door uh, of blessing. So where are you? With all the doors that we miss or we take, all the doors that we could look to that had been closed but God redirected, where are you? And what's your open door? Let me caution you against something. If you're approaching a door or if you're butting your head against a door that's closed, don't think that it's what's on the other side of that door that will make you whole. Don't think that in those circumstances are everything that satisfies. It's, it's a lie. And it's robbing you of the true satisfaction of knowing this, that the door that does satisfy is always open to you. Jesus said, I am the door, not a door, the door. You know what that means? That means wherever you are, because of Christ, you stand in the very threshold of heaven and all it has to offer. That means wherever you are, Christ being with you is that which your heart most deeply longs and in which you can find your deepest satisfaction. I would suggest that these ancient doors open. Lift up, O ye gates. Who is it that comes? It is the king of glory. The king that is mighty in battle. The king that is committed to fighting for you and fighting you into his kingdom. This morning, the gate that's always open and over which you always have control is the gate of your own heart. This Palm Sunday, would you open the gate? Would you let Christ become that life-giving source for you so that your life is no longer drained away with all those other things in your life that may not be perfect yet? They may never be. But you have a door. You have the door. Right where you are, you can open the gates of your heart this morning. Would you do that? Let's stand and sing. Lord God, as we stand this morning, we ask for a visitation of your spirit right here, right where we are. Lord God, in whatever way we're struggling with the doors that may have opened or not opened to us, the doors we may have found or the doors we may have missed, we acknowledge you this morning as our door to this life. We return to you. 
in the ways that our hearts are reluctant, Father. We pray that we may spend so much time with you that our hearts will change to see doors that we've missed already. Doors that are coming to us even now. Lord God, we pray for you to do that great work in our hearts. Satisfy us with your very self. Send us your ministering angel, even if we are in a Gethsemane. Nevertheless, Lord God, not our will. We choose something better. We're open to yours. We're open right now. Come and give us strength. To be true to the one that is always true to us. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we give you praise. Amen.